Good evening, and welcome to the worship services of the Central Church of Christ. It's good to see a, a nice number in the building, and if you're tuning in with us, uh, we're glad to have you. We're going to sing a couple songs before we have opening prayer. We After this song, we'll have our opening prayer.
Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this good day that you've given us. And we thank you that you allowed us to, to get together and, and um, to encourage each other and, and help each other to see you better. And we ask that you'll help us, to, particularly this hour, to do what's right in your sight. We always ask that you'll help us to do what's right in your sight. In our, in our world, in our country, and, and uh, even our, and locally in our county, <clears throat> there's, uh, there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of folks that are hurting. and We ask that you'll help, help each one of them. Uh, especially we ask for your help with, for Ken's family. And uh, we thank you that, that Karen is not in so much pain anymore, but still needs your help. Ask that you'll help Johnny. And, uh, and we, we know that you know what each one of us needs. And um, something that's, that's always at sort of there now is the, uh, the pandemic and, and COVID-19 infections. And the, we have, we're challenged to, to know what is right. We, we get conflicting information from, uh, from experts and we want your help. We ask that you'll guide, guide each one of us individually and as a congregation. We thank you for caring for us. Thank you for all the good things that you've given us. And we ask that you'll guide us and help us to do what's right. And it's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before our scripture reading and Tim's lesson, we'll sing it as well with my soul.
The Bible reading <clears throat> selected about 10 tonight comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 through 16. This is from English Standard Version. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and concentrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Well, it is, it's great that we can be together. I'm so, uh, so happy that we can be here together on a Sunday night. I remember um, not too long ago, uh, standing up here and preaching to a nearly empty auditorium. And then the pandemic came and it got even emptier. So, <laughs> Amanda told me that wasn't a good joke, but... <laughs> But I'm glad that we can be back together even on Sunday night. And we do have a good number out here tonight. I think some of y'all must not have heard that I was preaching tonight. So I'm glad that you didn't turn around and leave and uh, are here with us. But it is a great opportunity that we have. And this morning was a great opportunity. 230 people. Actually, it was 233. I didn't count. Uh, Brooks was... Brooks Fleener was a little too small for me to see when I was counting, and there's a couple others I think that snuck in after. But 233, I think, was the official count. What a great number to have in this room. And all around us in our community, we see people going back to work. And at least for a few more weeks, kids are still in school. And we're seeing professional sports teams take the field, restaurants are reopening and things are starting to get back to normal. And um, when I think about getting back to normal, I think about back in the spring of 2006. Um, I accompanied a group of our college students uh, from here at Central down to New Orleans to do some cleanup after Hurricane Katrina. And devastating does not begin to describe what we saw down in New Orleans. And you probably remember uh, some of the images on TV that when that levee broke and that water was released, everything in its path was was underwater. And you remember people uh, being saved off of the rooftops of their house. And uh, 1,800 people weren't so fortunate. A lot of people died in that disaster. And after the water uh, receded, groups like ours started going down to New Orleans to begin the restoration process. And as we started to arrive and saw some of the devastation that just grew and grew as we got closer and closer to New Orleans, the thought was, how could you ever rebuild New Orleans? Everything had been underwater. Um, we, saw, we saw cars and trees. We saw cars that had floated around and landed in people's swimming pools. We saw uh, an airplane that had kind of floated around and ended up on the roof of somebody's house. 
we saw a 75-foot shrimp boat sitting dead center in the middle of someone's neighborhood. Um, we saw people's homes, uh, people's lives, people's lifetime of hard work encased in mud and filth. These belongings had been sitting underwater for weeks and weeks, and then after the water receded and the storm was long gone, they, those belongings sat and baked in the South Louisiana heat and the mold grew and, and things were ruined, totally ruined. Well, I remember X's sprayed on the side of the houses to, um, to, to, to show how many bodies were taken from those dwellings that we were in and cleaning up. And the damage was just heartbreaking. The images were, were beyond belief. And some people I remember were asking the question around that time, is it even worth rebuilding New Orleans? Um, the task wasn't going to be easy. And even today, 15 years later, there are still parts of that restoration product, uh, project that are still ongoing. And when we met people living in New Orleans, what's so amazing is that their plea then was so similar to what we're longing for now. They wanted to get back to normal. They wanted to get back to normal. They wanted to be able to go eat in a restaurant. They wanted to be able to go back to work. They wanted uh, to be able to send their kids back to school. Many of the same things that we're longing for today, the citizens of New Orleans were longing for then. But they realized that restoration was going to take time. They had a sizable restoration project ahead of them. They couldn't just return to normal. They had to mourn. They had to bury their dead that were taken by this terrible disaster. They had to rebuild not just their homes, but the societal infrastructure in a community that would allow this community to exist again had to be rebuilt. There was no, uh, the, the police departments, they didn't have cars, very few officers. There were no city utilities. Uh, there was barely any form of communication. They were rebuilding everything. And that project, that massive project, had to take place before normal could happen again. Uh, a person couldn't just go back into their home once the water had receded and, and move in like everything was normal and nothing had ever happened. Uh, many of those houses had to be torn down to the ground and totally rebuilt because there was nothing salvageable about them. But now here we are 15 years later and the metaphorical waters of COVID are starting to recede. We have this widespread access to a vaccine. Businesses are reopening and 230 people were present this morning at worship. And those are all great signs. But as this is happening, maybe this is a good opportunity for us to realize that for the last year, spiritually, many of us have been underwater. And maybe it's time for us to start assessing our own restoration projects. Because while we are so thankful for this technology that's allowed us to stream these messages online and, and allowed so many people who still aren't able to come back uh, to be here, I don't think anyone would argue that this is optimal. Of course, we'd like to be able to see each other's faces. Of course, we'd like to, to be together. And there are things that 
that spiritually we've lost by not being able to be together. And we hope that we can bring those things back soon. But things like Bible camps for our children that have been canceled because of this. Our, our children have suffered without Bible camps. Fellowship opportunities like the 55 plus events or the retired men's breakfast or college events that had to be canceled or, or get togethers with our young families group that were not able to happen. The, we suffer from not being able to do those things. And so when that damage has occurred in our life, we need to be able to look at, at restoration. And just as these waters are starting to recede, we need to take inventory spiritually of what's been damaged, what's been lost, and what needs to be restored. And there's no time like the present to start that restoration, even if, even if it's still several weeks or months before we're back to normal, we can start that restoration project now. Perhaps the, um, and that's what we wanna talk about is that idea of restoration, because it is something we need, and as I've talked to, and I'm sure some of the elders and, and Tim and Greg have talked to leaders in other churches in our area and, and across the country, the common theme that I've heard is this need for a call to restoration. And maybe it's that the pandemic exposed what has already been a, a growing trend in, in Christianity in general, where churches are, are dying. And, and the, the amazing part about that is a lot of people are still claiming Christianity, but even before the pandemic, a lot weren't attending. And the scary part about that is when that happens, when parents claim Christianity but don't attend, then the children won't claim any kind of faith at all. And we can't allow that to happen here we have to have restoration. We have to have revival. And we always need restoration, by the way. Um, we're in constant need of restoration. I watched a, uh, a show one time. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was one of these shows that, you know, uh, says, you know, what if there wasn't any people, what would happen? And they looked at the city of Atlanta and they said within a few weeks, the city of Atlanta would be covered in kudzu if there wasn't any people. And uh, there's people that are constantly there uh, doing restoration projects on the side of the highway, cutting those invasive vines back to keep that from happening. And uh, when we go to High Rock after, you know, several months off, there's several restoration projects that need to happen or else that camp will, will fall into disrepair. Um, there's a, a nice home in, in my neighborhood down the street um, that a family lived in for many years, beautiful home. And the, the couple passed away and the children, uh, I guess, didn't want the home, saw no need in keeping it up or even paying what maybe was the mortgage on it. And the house was repossessed and has sat in disrepair for a year. And now this once beautiful home, maybe one of the more expensive homes in our neighborhood, has fallen into such disrepair, it's almost worthless. And it's sad to see that happen because <clears throat> if you're a homeowner, you know, that you have to have constant restoration on your home. One small leak can become a really, really big problem, right? <clears throat> and so pandemic or not, we're in constant need of restoration. And restoration isn't always a fun process. And you can ask anyone who is in the middle of a 
uh, restoration project in their home, and, and that would include me right now, that restoration projects can be difficult. Um, we, we're, we were in need uh, of, of renovating some bathrooms in our home, and that takes time. And in that time, it's a, I know it's a total first world problem, but now five of us, while we're waiting for this, this to, to, to happen, we have to share one bathroom. Oh, so, so awful when, when at least we have a bathroom indoors. But, but anytime you do renovation and restoration, it's not always the most fun project. Um, but when it's personal restoration, it can be even more difficult. Because instead of tearing out old walls in our home, instead of pulling down old uh, pieces of wallpaper, we're having to tear down old habits. And we're having to tear down walls of pride that have been built up. Restoration isn't always fun, but it's always necessary. And one of the things I want us to consider tonight is that restoration requires pain. In New Orleans, we had the opportunity to work on one home with the homeowner present. And he had arrived at his home shortly after we had started carting out these wheelbarrow loads of his belongings um, that were buried and caked in, in mud. And we stopped working for a few minutes while he went in to survey the damage on his home and what he had lost. And he cried. Um, the first step of his home restoration was a realization of how damaged that property was. This isn't the way I left it. How did it get so bad? Everything was ruined. In Luke 15, as the prodigal son is, is sitting there with the pigs, he's so hungry that he wants to eat that slop that he was feeding to those pigs, he must have thought, how did my life get this bad? What happened? How did I get there? Have you ever thought that? It wasn't supposed to get this bad. It wasn't supposed to go this far. I wasn't supposed to let it get out of control. And yet here I am sitting in my wrecked, wretched, pig slop life. In verse 17, in this painful moment of realization, the son says, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And let's hold right there for a second because, because today, today on the day when we honor our mothers, and many of us were blessed with, with wonderful mothers, godly mothers, and godly fathers, how painful would it have to be to go to our parents and say that we've sinned against them so greatly that we are no longer worthy to be called their child? That's painful to even think about. Uh, it's painful for me to even think about hurting my father or my mother uh, to that point that it would occur to me that I'm no longer worthy to be called their child. And that's what makes restoration painful. Looking at this disaster that we've been presented with and saying, how did it get this far? 
How did it get this far? You know, it was only just a, a little harmless flirting. Uh, it, was, it was only going to be just a couple of drinks. It was, it was just going to be one time. How did I let things get this far out of control? And it's painful to admit that our lives at times can be just an out of control mess. That we don't have the answers and that this beautiful inheritance of blessings that God has, has given us, we've, we've ruined it. And we've squandered it away selfishly. And now we find ourselves mired in pig slop. And that's painful. But we know the rest of the story as the son uh, begins to get close. The father who's been waiting since the day he left sees him. He never wanted his son to leave in the first place. So, so when he sees him, maybe, maybe he rubs his eyes for a second. Could it really be him? Sure enough, it's him. It's his son. And so the father jumps off the porch and he, he runs as fast as his feeble body can go. And he grabs his son and he kisses his son and he holds him close. Because as he would tell his older son uh, later in his servants in verse 24, the younger son was dead and now he's alive. And so he holds that child so tight and he kisses him, grateful that he's alive. And tears running down both of their cheeks, the son starts to spit out this speech that he's practiced for this moment. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father essentially says, shh, someone go get my best robe. Someone go get my ring. Someone go get my shoes. You're my son again. Restoration. Looking back on the, built, the, the, the guilt of our past mistakes, understanding the things that we did, got us mired in that pig slop is painful. But thankfully, the Father is ready and willing to run to us and take away all the guilt and all the pain. Paul tells the church at Corinth about the painful part of restoration in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. He tells them, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. When you find that your life is in this self-destructive shamble, uh, the pain, the godly pain, godly grief, is that first step to repentance and salvation and a restoration to a normal life of walking with God. But restoration requires pain. Restoration requires a price. Uh, if you've ever started a restoration project on a home or a car or even a piece of furniture, you know it can be a really costly venture. Uh, wouldn't more people restore their homes uh, if it wasn't so pricey? In 2 Samuel chapter 24, David is in need of restoration. And uh, he feels pain. In verse 10 it says, David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people and David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. He feels that pain. He feels that godly sorrow. He is heartbroken. It says his heart struck him. Has your heart ever struck you? Here's David. He's running back to the father. He has the godly sorrow. And God tells David, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be, uh, you pick, it's going to be three years of famine, three months of being chased by your enemies, or three days of pestilence. And David says, I'd rather go with your hand than the hand of men because you're going to be more merciful. 
And so the pestilence came, and 70,000 people died. And David spoke to God in verse 17 and said, let, let your hand be against me and against my father's house. I don't want any more people to die. I don't want any more people to die. And so God, through Gad, tells David to, to raise an altar on the threshing floor of Arunah, uh, the Jebusite. And Arunah sees David coming, and he runs out to greet him and ask him what he needs. And David says, I'm here to, to buy your threshing floor and to make a sacrifice to God. And Arunah, in verses 22 and 23, says, basically, sure, take, take anything you want. You can have all these things. I want to give you all these things. And in verse 24, David says, the king said uh, to Arunah, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. If restoration didn't cost anything, it probably wasn't worth anything. I could probably restore my house for free and you would be able to tell. <laughs> I'm not that handy. I have to get help. I have to, to pay people a lot handier than me to do good work. If restoration doesn't cost anything, it's not worth anything. If your faith doesn't cost anything, it's not worth anything. And, 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 and we have to make sure that we are making uh, the sacrifices and paying the price necessary for our faith. You know, we, we love that we're able to broadcast our worship now. And there's so many people that have access to it that never could. But we don't want to make this, we, we don't have this so that we can make faith cheaper for anybody. Oh, th this is perfect. Now we can tune in from the parking lot of the ball field and, and listen to just a little bit of church before the game. Or, uh, you know, now I, can, now I can watch church a little bit during the commercials of my favorite show. That's not what it's intended for. Our faith should cost us something. I saw someone post something online the other day. It said uh, something to the effect of, Extracurriculars aren't the excuse for missing church. Church should be the excuse for missing extracurriculars. Um, the pandemic maybe has expedited this need for a call to revival, but, but maybe we needed revival before. You know, pre-pandemic, our attendance numbers painted a picture of a congregation where some were not willing to pay the price of getting our children up in the morning and taking them to Bible class. You know, we, pre-pandemic, would have three to 400 people here on Sunday morning. But for Bible class, 160. Wednesday night, 150. Sunday night, 140, if Tim Hall was preaching. Maybe 80 or 90. <laughs> Otherwise. And like we say, this restoration needs to start now. I know that we're not ready to be back at full capacity right now, but we can start that restoration now so that when we're ready to be back, man, we can come back stronger than ever. In, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, or excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 4, um, the uh, pe people are, are mourning uh, because the uh, Ark of the Covenant has been captured and people are dying and it was said, the glory has departed. Eli dies. Well, the glory departed a long time before the Ark of the Covenant had, de had, had departed in that situation. The people should have started their restoration project a long time before they were attacked. And that's what we have to make sure that, that we're doing right now. We can't wait for the pandemic to be over and, and for us to say, okay, great, we're full capacity. Let's start the 
restoration project now? What do we teach our kids when they don't see us paying that price for our faith? Uh, if they don't see us paying price for it, they, they think there's no value to our faith. So we need to take inventory and decide what's valuable to us and what do our kids think is valuable to us. Um, before the pandemic started, we played that game in our young families class and we challenged everyone to ask their children um, what is important or valuable to mommy or daddy. And if you are really brave, you'll ask your kids that question and maybe you already know what they'll say. Hopefully they'll say your relationship with God, right? Um, maybe they might say vacations, cars, education, sports. Uh, I was so glad that in our class, the, the people that reported back to us said that their children said God was important to mommy and daddy. Church was important to mommy and daddy. And those parents here at Central, they're paying the price, not sacrificing things that don't cost them anything, but making big sacrifices, showing their kids the value of their salvation because restoration requires a price. Restoration requires prayer. In Second, uh, second Chronicles, after Solomon finishes the temple, God uh, talks to Solomon. He tells Solomon, beginning in verse 13, what Chig read for us, basically when bad things come, uh, when there's no rain, when the locust comes, when the pestilence comes, in verse 14 he says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And he goes on to tell Solomon that this physical temple that has since been replaced by our own hearts, that his eyes, that his ears, and his heart will be there for all time. This wasn't just a promise to Solomon, but to his people. Just like he says in verse 14, to my people who are called by my name. Do we need our land to heal? <laughs> of course. In so many ways, right? Uh, from a pandemic virus, but from hatred and from violence and from a lack of communication and understanding and, and from what seems to be an avoidance of all these things that we consider holy and righteous. We need to heal in so many ways. A couple of years ago, uh, in a lesson, I challenged our congregation to pray a couple of extra prayers a day and see what, was, what would happen. So this morning, there was 230 of us here in worship, and there's 22 days left in the month of May. And so by my math, if every one of us who are able to pray, prayed two extra prayers for the rest of this month, that would come to close to two, excuse me, 10,000 additional prayers that wouldn't have been prayed. Can we do that? You know, we can't just talk about how bad the world has gotten. We need to do something about it. And God says, if you want your land to be healed, seek my face and pray. And, and notice what he doesn't say there too. He, he doesn't say, if only all these other sinners and heathens out there would just seek my face and pray, everything would be okay. And sometimes I get caught up in that a little bit. Man, if all those sinners in the world would just start going to church, everything would be so much better. But God doesn't say that. He says, my people who are called by my name, who worship on Sunday, who are sitting right now in a building in Johnson City, Tennessee, you people seek my face and pray. It's our responsibility. 
Consider this. If God doesn't heal our land, it isn't going to be the fault of the heathens. It isn't going to be the fault of the faction of the people in the world who do hate him and are seeking to destroy him. It isn't the fault of the media or the school systems or or any single elected official. If the land isn't healed, it is because the people of God didn't seek his face and pray. And that's a heavy responsibility. And, And with that said, healing can look like very different things to us and God. Maybe to God, a healed land looks like a church that's restored in an unhealed land and on fire to take on a world that really hasn't healed. But we still don't get there without believers taking on the responsibility to seek his face and pray. We have to do that. That is 100% our responsibility. Restoration requires prayer. And finally this evening, restoration requires a plan. And I consider myself a bit of a planner. Um, I live every day um, with a list. I make a list the day before and, and go through that list every day when we go on vacation. I like to plan what we're going to do and where we're going to go. And uh, I like to plan things for uh, the camps at High Rock and devotionals and Bible classes for our college group. Uh, I, I like to have a plan for things. I don't like to fly by the seat of my pants that often. Um, we talked about in Bible class this morning that um, we like to have a plan to try to mitigate uh, disaster when it occurs. So we run fire drills in our school in case of a fire. We, uh, when you get on a plane, they tell you the plan of what you should do in case of an emergency. You buy insurance to safeguard your finances in the event of uh, a tragedy striking your home or your automobile or your health. But there's no plan that we can create on our own to save our own soul. There just isn't anything we can do to take care of this burden of sin on our own. To restore our soul and make it clean and new and fresh like we would our own home. We can't do it on our own. Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8 tried to make his own plan when he saw the apostles laying their hands on people and giving them the Holy Spirit. In verse 18, Simon offered uh, the apostles money and said in verse 19, Give me this power also. There's a lot of things that people can do with their money. People are able to position themselves and influence others and make uh, ways a little easier for themselves and their family with money and influence, but not in this case. In verse 20, Peter says, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Uh, Many years ago, President George H.W. Bush Uh, during the presidency of his son, George W. Bush, came and spoke at Freed Hardeman while I was a student there. And uh, if you, as a student, you volunteered to uh, help in some way at the event, then you would be able to go listen to the speaker for free. So so my volunteer job was helping to park uh, cars and man the parking area uh, that evening. So mostly an uneventful job, but at one point in the evening, Secret Service came to my lot and said, hey, we're going to close this street over here momentarily. So if somebody coming down your way uh, mentions that they want to turn, just let them know they can't do that until the presidential motorcade comes through and we have the president in the building. Okay, I got it. And about 30 seconds after they left, sure enough, here comes a van and pulls up right in front of me. And I stop in the road and I say, hey, you can go anywhere you want except that road. You can't go over there. And uh, the driver of the van didn't like that. And uh, he said, son, do you know who I am? 
Well, I knew exactly who it was. I had him for like three classes. And uh, <laughs> he said, I've been faculty at this school for over 40 years, and I chair a department, and I sit on the board of directors, and now you're going to let me go onto that road and drop these people off. And I said, but the Secret Service. And he cut me off, and he said, I don't care. I don't care who said it. I'm driving down that road. And so he proceeded to steer the van around me and almost to the road. I think he made it about 30 feet before he was cornered by a couple of black SUVs that explained to him he was not going to go down that road. <laughs> um, I'll tell you one more quick story. I know we're running out of time. I was, a family, I was at a family will call line at a baseball stadium one time going to see, uh, waiting for family tickets for a spring training game that Daniel was pitching in. And uh, one lady was frustrated in front of me in line because the tickets were taking so long to get to the ticket booth. And so she said, don't you know who I am? My son is one of the players. And another one of the men in line gently tapped her on the shoulder and pointed at the family will call line. <laughs> like, we're all family. We're all waiting uh, for the tickets. Sometimes we hear that, don't you know who I am? I tell these stories because sometimes in life, we think there is a plan, that there's an answer, and there's a way around any problem. My money, my influence, and my name should get people to do what I need them to do. And I wonder how many people will get to heaven and exclaim, don't you know who I am? And how heartbreaking will it be to hear God say, no. No, I don't. Because they followed their plan and not God's. Restoration of the church starts with restoration with each one of our souls individually. And restoration of our soul starts with a plan. And God has given us a beautiful plan. A plan of redemption that started as soon as sin entered the world and separated man from God. God couldn't exist with sin, so he made a plan. A plan that required blood to cover sin, but not any blood, perfect blood. The blood of his son, every last drop of it. And if that perfect blood is on us, then we too are perfect. And so God created an opportunity for us to access that blood through a relationship based on faith that begins with hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17, believing in Jesus, that he is the son of the almighty God, the creator of the universe, and that believing the things that he taught will truly lead to a more perfect life that everyone who believes in him can have everlasting life, John 3, 16. That plan includes repenting of our sins. Don't just sit there and languish in them. Don't just sit there in that dilapidated pile of pig slop that you call a life. Leave those sins behind. Repent or you will perish, Luke 13, 3. And boldly confess and publicly confess the name of Jesus Christ without fear, that he is the Son of God, and that he is the way to salvation, Matthew 10, 22 and 23. And then contact that blood, that blood that covers us and washes away our sins, buried in death with Christ in baptism and raised to walk a new life, Romans 6. And if we can help you with any of those things, we want to do that so badly. If you're watching online, email one of the addresses on the screen right now. We'd love to study with you more about that. And if you've submitted to this plan, and if you submit to this plan, you can have eternal life. And if you've done those things and are finding yourself in need of a tune-up, 
finding yourself in need of restoration. Your spiritual life needs some repairs before it gets out of control. Or maybe it is out of control. And you need to be restored. The Father is already up and running to greet you. Come meet Him. Let us know how we can help as together we stand and sing. Oh, Please be seated. As we shift our focus to the Lord's Supper, let's sing the first verse of I Believe in Jesus.
Is there anyone who wants to take the Lord's Supper who does not have what you need? Very good. I want to share with you as you uh, prepare yourselves to partake the Lord's Supper, I want to share with you a few verses out of Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Would you bow with me as we pray? Holy and wonderful Father in heaven, we do thank you for the gift of the hope of salvation. And Father, we recognize that that gift was delivered to all mankind with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the holy and perfect Lamb that was slain and crucified for our sins. Father, as we consider that, we uh, take this bread and it reminds us of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for our sins and for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. again. Father in heaven, we recognize that uh, the shedding of blood is necessary for the remission of sins. And we are thankful, Father, that our Savior, Jesus Christ, was willing to come to this earth and shed his blood that we would have remission of sins. As we partake of this fruit of the vine, we give pause to consider that blood and for the great gift that was given to us. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Now as we consider the fact that we are blessed in so many wonderful ways by God our Father, we want to pray to him, giving him thanks for the blessings he's given us and for allowing us to be a member of his body here. And we pray, Father, that 
pray for his will to be done as our Father. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for blessing us. We pray, Father, that we might be mindful of the, uh, the work of the church. Help us, Father, to uh, be involved in that work, both uh, mentally and financially and physically. Father, we do thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Let's uh, close with a prayer. Father, we are thankful for this time together this evening and for the time we had this morning to gather together in assemblies of your people. The great good that we get from gathering together to hear your word proclaimed from the pulpit, to hear scriptures read, to be able to give of our means to the work that's to be carried on in your, your name, the one who has given us everything. To join in singing of songs, praise to you, but also songs of instruction and encouragement to each one of us. And in the sharing of the Lord's Supper, where as a group of your people, we remember and proclaim that great sacrifice that your son made for us. Father, may we never take these assemblies lightly. May we always take advantage of them to be built up and to praise you. Father, we continue to remember those that we've been praying for, those who are sick, who've um, had uh, procedures they're recovering from, who have upcoming procedures. And we want to add to that list our brother Adam, who will be undergoing carpal tunnel surgery tomorrow. We pray for a successful procedure for him with good results to follow. Be with him and his family as as he uh, undergoes this. May we uh, remember all these, Lord, that uh, we, we want to be brought back to better health. And as to each one of us, Father, we ask that you strengthen us in our walk, knowing that the devil is on the watch and seeks to trip us up. May we be prepared and may we always look to you this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Hope you have a great week and hope to see you uh, Wednesday night for our Bible classes. We are dismissed.